Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, it's a pleasure to have in the beach shack this person who has broken the world record for the longest surf and it was one hell of an amazing effort. Now he tells his story, Blakey Johnson, it's a story of toughness, resilience and he talks about how so many times during that 40 hours he was cooked, absolutely cooked. So let's sit back and have a listen to my chat with Blakey. Okay, this week in the Beach Shack, we've got a guy that's uh, an absolute legend on what he's recently done. We'll have a chat about that today. But Blake Johnson, Blakey, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, buddy. How are you? Yeah, really good. Well, let's start back. You grew up in Cronulla. Tell us a bit about growing up in uh, back as a young bloke. Yeah, well, I'm one of five boys, and Adam was a builder, so we lived all around the Shire, doing a couple of renovations and moving around, a little stint up the Goldie. But, yeah, just growing up in Cronulla is epic. Couldn't, can't fold it, you know. I was, lived right over the within five minutes walk of the beach my whole life, and it was epic just chasing my brothers over the hills of Grime. And my dad was was a really good surfer back in his day, and just yeah, wanting to be like them. So it was epic. Did you play any other sports, or was mainly surfing you got into as a young bloke? Played footy from like six till ten, and then I just wanted to surf. I just just overtook my life from for me about nine. I was just surfing every, I just had access to it, you know, and back then there wasn't a lot of groms my age doing it when I was sort of eight, nine, different to nowadays, but it was, um, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely just, just really early for back then. And did you start competing in surfing, some surfing events? Yeah, I was just board riders. We just, I joined board riders just like, cause my brothers were in it. So from the age of about nine, I joined board riders and that's, that led me into the, into the competition route of it as well. And did you have much success there? You went pro for a bit? Yeah, I did really good when I was young. So, like, when I was – I got um, – I was getting paid from the age of 14, you know, pretty decently to travel and all my travel paid for and did really well as a, as a cadet and then a junior and the pro juniors and got good media, really good media coverage and kept the sponsors happy that way as well. So, competing and, yeah, did good till I was about – I did good till I was about 20, but – Really good until I was about 17, 18 and then did a few more boat trips where I could have focused more on, on photo trips and could have focused more on chasing those three stars and four stars over in Europe, but I didn't I didn't really do that. I, I sort of spent my heart, time half doing that and half doing photos, which in hindsight, as we all know, is, you know, got to keep that singular focus to get those goals. So. And then, mate, uh, from there, though, you, you still stayed with the surfing and went into a bit of coaching and teaching as well? Yeah, I, I um. I was lucky enough that I've, you know, I've grown up with Dog Marsh as a mentor and he always had the shop and had a little surf school running alongside it. And then one year when um, I didn't have as much backing, I worked at the shop a little bit and he, um, I saw the surf school, I'm like, That's pretty, that'd be pretty sick. It'd be better than standing in the shop all day long, selling boards down the beach. And um, yeah, just took on half of it. He said, don't overcommit, just take on half of it, still do the year over in Europe and do the two comps over in Europe and everything. 
and then come back and have a have a good crack at it. So yeah, did that for a year and travelled with my my now wife and after the events and made the most of it and then came back and just said, yeah, I want all in. I want to put everything into that. Mate, now we'll get onto your um, world record attempt, but what uh, what sort of started that? What why did you want to um, do an attempt like this? I reckon about um, I've done a few big runs and a few big sups and like to challenge myself with you know my fitness and that all the time. So there's my wife. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sugar's barking, welcome back. Um, yeah, and I've made sort of a commitment to my health and that about five or six years ago. I've always been active and surfing my brains out, but I noticed that I just was, you know, fit in winter because I've got more time. So it was hectic in summer and I was training and doing a running and getting right into it a bit, a bit too much, you know, no, no program, just doing it really raw, running every single day and still surfing and doing everything. And then, um, yeah, I, I just made a did a little uh the story goes I just did a little little diet diet change with my wife to help her on one of the one of the, uh, the gym programs she was on and then felt really good just by changing my diet taking some sugar out and that was at the end of winter so by doing that I felt better and I started to keep I kept running I wasn't getting a sore took bread out took dairy out I ended up being a vegan for like four or five years and I just felt that helped me with just pain and recovery and not that I was doing anything else besides training and then that that sort of led me down the path of you know, feeling better and doing a few little mar- few little local fun runs, city to surf, and then, you know, I actually did that barefoot first time. I did the Sutherland to surf barefoot, and then I did the city to surf barefoot, and then I did the, the Sydney Blackmores barefoot as well, you know, food, water, or supplements as well. So it's just sort of just this gradual progression into it like that. And then I just thought, what could I do? And did some ultras and some, you know, ultra sups and marathon sups and surfs and stuff, and then spent day down at the wave pool corporate day and it was um yeah it was meant to have like four sessions but all the all the older corporate guys was when it first opened just got really tired after two or three sessions as most people do and then I was like was allowed to stay in the water end up doing seven hours and by the sort of the fifth sixth seventh session there was no one in the club in the water so I'm like if I can catch two waves a set I can get a hundred waves today so I caught it a hundred waves in seven hours that's pretty cool but I just googled it on the way home world record and a couple of years later I was after a few runs I was like Let's, let's do it. And my brother thought it was a great idea. And in a way, I wanted to do something for 10 years. It was 10 years since my dad took his own life. I wanted to do something significant and try and raise some money for someone. And then my brother's on the board at the Chumpy Pool Foundation said, can we help you with this? We'd love to support you. I just mentioned to him in passing. And then, yeah, now it's done and dusted. Well, mate, it must have been, you know, your body was getting used to it. And how would you find it at Urban Surf, though, how, with the, the amount of hours in there? And you thought, geez, the record's at, at 30 hours. Yeah, is that a I, bit daunting? It was a little bit. I just, I just thought I was a bit arrogant in 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 the process, right? I, I think you got to be with these big missions, and I was like, if I can run for forty hours, you know, I've done a couple of you know forty hour runs and hundred mile runs, hundred k runs and stuff. I thought if I can run, which is which I'm a battler at running, like I'm no professional. If I can do that, surely in my own element, I can push through in, the, in those times, you know. And there's a few things I obviously underestimated about that surf every day of my whole life, but I just. Um, you know, you don't think about how bad your ashes can get, how thirsty you get, depending on the ways. There's all these uncontrollable still that just come in, especially over that longer time in the water that you just got to consider and, and roll with if they do happen that way too. So then, you, as you mentioned before, your, your father uh, committed suicide. Like, that must have been quite tragic 
back then. Yeah, yeah, it's still pretty hard to get your head around someone who you just aren't nothing but appreciated your time with them and love being around them, you know, above not to more than a mate, you know, more than a dad, just, you know, a really good mate. Or if you obviously did something right, or me and my brothers just adored him, you know. He was, he was an awesome husband, the hardest working man ever, really selfless and obviously too self selfless, you know. You know, just didn't put himself enough didn't think of himself enough, right? And that's, you know, I've done that for a long time. It, it puts you in a pretty bad place. And he, he actually went there and it was, it was hard. He was a really mellow person. So it was, he didn't wear his heart on his sleeve like someone like me who's, you're going to know as soon as I'm, in, you know, not in a good space, I'm going to tell you or it's, it's pretty obvious, you know. So someone who's a bit more calmer and a bit more, you know, seem as well control could be battling on the inside. So, you know, it's something that, you know, maybe I've looked a little bit when he said he wasn't, feeling good or he's super more tired than anything and he had bad sleep apnea but you never know what anyone's going through at all so it's 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 important to, to remember that you don't need to go through what I've been through to, to realize that but it's just everyone's on their own journey everyone has their ups and downs regardless of what it looks like from the outside and we've got to keep reminding ourselves of that when we're dealing with people so often yeah well I mean that's why I do the podcast as well because a lot of people I speak to everyone has their their ups and downs and, and a lot of people don't matter who you are, you go through your downtime, some stage through your life. So it's just trying to, um, as you said, to, to speak up and, and talk about it. It's, it. it's a certainty. Yeah, like it, there's a few certainties we're all going to have regardless of how privileged you are or not. You know, your pain, you know, uncertainty and, and um, yeah, hard work. We're all going to have to do those things. And we got to, the more better we come to accepting that, the more easy we'll be able to be clear on what we have to do. Now, with the um, was there much planning or training going into this attempt? Well, there was a bit, not as much as normal because I actually felt pretty good. I normally train every day. I overtrain too much and I don't do enough recovery, like stretching and mobility work, and that's something that I'm always working on because I think, oh, let's go for another fun run along the cliffs or along the beach. Like, it's too much fun. Surf more or keep foiling and doing all that stuff. I, I don't prioritise, you know, the long term enough and I was – after I'd run 100 miles two years ago, I was out for like nearly a year mentally and and physically, you know, I did my Achilles tendinopathy and that was just a long, slow recovery and I didn't even put as much effort into recovering out of that. So I learned a lot from that, um, as we all do from our mistakes. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's something, an area I really need to improve on to make sure that. So when um, the, the day came where you had to go out there now, what about the conditions, like, they weren't too bad. What if it was a, a, a massive swell or something? Were you going ahead no matter what? Oh, it was what it's like at Cronulla or most of Sydney when it's a 5-foot east swell. It's pretty straight. It was a super consistent. I don't think it could have gotten much harder. If it was any bigger, I would have been right out the back and wouldn't be able to see. We might have had to have called it off if it got to 8 to, eight to 10 foot, you know, because the lights wouldn't have gone out that far. But it was 5 foot and um, it was 5 foot and just like – I reckon there was six wave sets. We paddled out heaps of jellyfish. You know, I don't know if you've been getting them over at Bondi, but we've been getting the big fuck off jellyfish. Yeah, yeah. And um, there was there were everywhere, and I just had this expectation that um, I was going to paddle out with my mates and high five. How cool is this? I'm going to go off this big challenge and have a night surf. And I, they'd paddle out, and we'd just get ping ponged around the alley. We'd just be like at North Cronulla one minute, near the rocks at the pools the other minute, and it was just we estimated that I did about. We weren't counting duck dives because you actually wouldn't have been able to see me do them all anyway. It would have been a really hard stat to get. But we estimated around 400 duck dives before the sun came up. 
on that first day. And it's because it was just a consistent east swell. A lot of the waves were good. By the time the sun came up, it had dropped a little bit. The waves got good. But all that time under the water, by the time the sun came up, I was exhausted already, you know, and my eyes were cooked because it got so bright and the bright lights and the darkness because I was out so far. There was a lot of contrast between the darkness because I was out further than normal and the pitch of the wave. The lights were up really high, but we're out so far that um, the pitch behind each wave, it's just pitch black. And then you turn around for a wave and it'd be bright. So I think that was never really adjusting to that. And then all the time underwater just made my eyes sore than I could have ever expected. I did have goggles, but I couldn't wear goggles at night. It's going to hinder you. In your vision, so um, look, I had to just battle with that. And it was probably at seven hours in when the sun started to come up, I was like, This is gonna be harder than I expected. <laughs> now, everyone's like, Oh, you got perfect waves, and I'm like, Mate, for 20 hours of it. But most times, like, it would have been a hard hour surf in the daylight, just that many duck dives, just doing it. But um, I got it done, and um, yeah, got that part first part done. It was definitely a bit more mental there, you know, where it was just a bit frustrating, just going, Oh, just. I had this vision in my head that it wasn't going to be that big. Even the forecast, even seeing it the day before, yeah, surely it's going to drop before I paddle out in a few hours. But it was, um, I was sitting my mates, they all rip and they were like, oh, it's hard work, you can have it. <laughs> so what, what about that seven-hour mark then? Imagine you said you did that many duck dives. You must have been really fatiguing, your arms and, and your legs. And Was there a point there you thought, geez, will I get through to the 30 hours? That's... Um, question that had been asked and there was never a doubt in my mind that I wasn't going to get it done. Not even the slightest little thing. It was the weirdest state I've ever been in in terms of just thought about it so much and felt it. I ran past the alley nearly every day and imagined a crowd. I over-exaggerated and imagined this huge crowd cheering me in coming in and it came true. It just sounds It's like it's amazing me that the, the, the effort I put into thinking about it and, and picturing myself and feeling like I'd been there before was all unfolding in front of me. So even though it was harder than I thought, I just went one time in life, trust trust the process, you know, like you're at seven hours in and you're already cooked. There's going to be, there's definitely going to be some waves in it, you know, just from experience of doing some of the big runs, knowing how would you feel it sometimes and how bad you feel at others that was going to happen, but probably sooner than I thought in this challenge, you know, I thought it was going to be more comfortable because it was the ocean, my hometown, my home break. And yeah, just, just, um, I just had to deal with it from earlier on. And did you know how many waves you'd, you'd got at the seven-hour mark? That's all I wanted to know from anyone coming out. How many waves am I on? And they were saying it on the PA and stuff, but we're pretty far out that first sort of, you know, 20 hours that, that you couldn't really hear it until the swell dropped off on that first Thursday afternoon. You could start to hear the PA a bit more, so I knew myself, but I was just getting everyone to tell me how many waves I caught. Uh, even though that wasn't a part of the world's longest record, that wasn't a requirement as long as we were active, you know, paddling to or from a wave every 10 minutes, not just sitting there milking it. And that's what I was just really adamant about with it. Just I wanted to make it an authentic surf. I did, and I didn't care what anyone else thought. But for me personally, I didn't want it to be this. Oh, all right, you get an hour break here, or I wanted to follow the rules that I had to. But I, you can even ask my wife. I was getting so frustrated with having to come in, even when I was completely fucked. I was like, I was like, what am I coming in for? I've got to catch more waves. And so, yeah, by the time I got to the world record mark, the last guy actually smashed the guy before. He caught 436 waves at 30 hours and 11 minutes, and I already had 500. So I was stoked with that and just went, my favourite number seven, let's go for 700. Fuck, I'm going to do 700. And I was pretty cooked at that stage. So I was like, yeah, Lauren, I didn't tell anyone, but Lauren, my wife, knew he's going to definitely go for 700. She thought that from the start. So just a bit of OCD kind of helps you out a bit, I think. 
Mate, how good was it that so many people turned up and paddled out and had a surf with you? That must have encouraged you to keep going. Yeah, it was good. Like, I was stoked for them, you know what I mean, getting to surf at night. And, like, at one point there, some of the Labondo lifeguards came over. They put a team together and raised some money, which was awesome. At one time, there was, there was over 120 people in the water. People obviously weren't meant to be there. Just for insurances and, and permits and stuff, we had to have a water safety plan. So there had to be people on shore and in the water when, with me at the time. And so I was just yeah, grab my mates and I've got this mental health um, sort of movement called the Suns. And we do all these cool activities like hikes and teach people how to sup downwind and come on trail runs and we do this kind of thing. And we got all these guys involved to come down and show their support. And that, mate, they spent 30 or – most of them spent – took days off work. They It was just so awesome, the support that we got. And they were getting so much out of it, you know, being there and helping me achieve – helping me achieve a, a dream, even though I got, got angry at them a few times thinking, <laughs> I don't want to come in, I don't need any more water, I don't need any – but without their support – I definitely wouldn't have got to the end. I underestimated, you know, how hard it was going to be with that first 20 hours and how much water and hydration I'd need and the food, just forcing food into me that I just wouldn't have. I'd done everything in the past really raw and that was just a big component to me getting it done. Was there a requirement you had to come in a certain amount of times to get checked? Yeah, it was, it was after the first 10 hours every second hour and then – was just based on we had a doctor there. One of my good friends is a doctor. He's a head surgeon at local private hospital, and he was down there and he could tell. Well, I was getting my vitals done, but he just um, kept on top of everything like that, just based on what he was seeing and my response to everything. And um, we ended up coming in every hour for a, a little while there as well. And then, as you're getting close to the uh, thirty-hour mark, because that was what the record was, how was that feeling at that time? Yeah, pretty good. I was like, yeah, I was. That was one of the harder parts too, just coming into daylight at that time then, knowing that I got it and I was smashed then. That was, uh, I came good even after that twice, but at that time coming to the world record, it felt pretty good. It was a pretty long night <laughs> for that, that night. That was yeah, obviously one of the longest nights I've ever had, you know. But the weirdest thing that's happened with this whole experience is, is that I was there, I was so present in the moment that, I was really vague a lot of the time, like really vague as, as it went on, but taking everything in because people, I don't remember a lot of it and then I'll have a conversation with someone that was on the beach or any of the many surfers that joined me and they'll say something about a wave or something that happened to them or a conversation we had and I vividly remember the moment. Like it's just the weirdest thing just to the slight little splash of water on my face as they were talking to me or the wave that came. It's just completely so present. You know, physically that it was just it was all getting pulled into me and I was oh, I love talking to everyone that was still there anyone that mentions that oh, you've probably heard about this before but I was there I'm like, I want to hear everyone's story because I'm just piecing it together like it's really yeah it's insane and then the feeling of breaking the record yeah that, that was one of the points where I felt pretty cooked but my family the swell dropped off it's like everything just happened how it was meant to happen. My, my, my family, my wife and my two little boys were 8 and 11 and they got to paddle out the back with me and sit in the water at that time where I just, you know, there were so many little weird things that just worked together to make it such a special couple of days. And, like, I caught 500 waves at 5 o'clock that morning. Right on 5 o'clock I caught 500 waves. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Someone was like me. That was, that was pretty epic. And then, you know, it's it, it, 11 past 7, my family there was two foot and offshore and they came out. And then after we hugged and, you know, cheers on the beach on our way in just to see everyone say thank you before heading back out, 
me and my wife split a peak and she went right. I went left. That was pretty sick. I'm normally pushing her into ways, but she got that one and rode it in with me and, man, it was sick. There were so many little things that happened to not only me but some of my buddies and people just around the whole time. There was a crazy energy to the to the two days. It was just um, not just mine but everyone was, yeah, stoked and emotional. So it was, yeah, it was really special for Kanai. And did you feel your, your dad was there around as well? Did you feel that at all? Yeah, I, I did a bit. I, I thought about him a lot and I have a lot since he's passed away and that was, yeah, I felt, I wouldn't say it was an out-of-body experience but it was definitely some some um, some moments where I just I just trusted everything that was going on. You know, I was there because of him and, and the purpose to you know, make a difference with mental health and, yeah, I felt, it felt it felt close, you know, like he felt close for sure. And what about when you were out there for so long, like you talk about mental health, how was your mental state, you know, going through that, all those hours of being in the water? Well, like I said before, it was it was a unique experience in the sense that I felt like it, it's what we should, the, present, the, the state I was in then is what we must be aiming for because there was things like some negative thoughts would come in. For me, one of the, hard, the negative thoughts that you'd norm, normally be thinking was lack of sleep, right? Like not many people, like it's not <laughs> good for, or efficient for us humans to not have much sleep and recovery. I actually hadn't slept since 4 a.m. on the Tuesday morning. Me and my wife had so much to do in relation to it, had a lot of good anxiety and energy leading into it and wasn't like a bad not sleeping. It was just that I was surfing, running the surf school, doing excited about it, getting boards ready, where are the lights, securing the boards, doing all these these logistics to it. And my wife is, is this legend too. She did so many things. And, and yeah, I ended up just not sleeping that night and not in a negative way. But then the next night when I was standing, I'm like, geez, it's one of the longest you've ever stayed up and you're about to start the challenge. So I ended up like not sleeping for 82 hours and doing the challenge within that 82 hours, which is, when I look back, like I had those thoughts. I'll go back to the my mental state. I had these thoughts coming, like, "Wow, you're really testing your resolve with sleep deprivation. This is this is the longest you've ever been." And it was just a thought that would come in, and I'd just take it as a thought. It wouldn't affect my emotional state. It wouldn't dwell on it. It just come in and I'd acknowledge it, and then pass through, you know, and just take on any good energy that was coming in, any kind words that were said to me when I was in the water. And there was a lot of that, and that just, you know, just focused on that more than anything negative, and just acknowledge that it was coming in, but. How tired I was, how hung, how bad my heartburn was from all the fucking electrolytes. They were just, I never want to see a fizzy electrolyte again. I was like, <laughs> never going to eat one of them. I ended up getting sushi and acai and all these things I normally eat fed to me on the beach for those couple of minutes I'd come in. And yeah, it was, it was pretty epic. So that was that was something that, you know, it was just letting the negativity thoughts come in, acknowledge them as that and, and move on with it. Keep trusting the process, you know, knowing that it's just a thought, it doesn't change who I am or what I'm doing. And um, that was really, really powerful. You know, to take that takeaway from it was that was 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 awesome. And then, you, well, when you broke the record, then was there a decision then to go to forty hours, or you already had that planned before um, you went in? No, that was just the I said the arrogance of me going, <laughs> I can do forty, just just sticking up and saying that and being accountable for what I'd said two years ago to myself, going, I could do forty, and just you know, just really sticking to that. And I think that's a good part of what something that I'm good at, you know, sticking to what I say I'm going to do. And I think that's a really good thing to live by. And I look at my dad and something I took from him, he never let us down. He was always true to his word and, and you know, he never pressed it on us, but just it's something that, yeah, I like to think I'm, I'm, I can lead by example with, you know, if you say you're going to do something, do it, you know, be accountable to that. 
And I also noticed that the previous record holder, the South African Josh um, Elson, he rang you the, the night before, was it? Before you had to go to a tender. What, what did he have to say? He's a freaking legend, that guy. He, he texts me, he DM me and goes, bro, I'd feel really bad if, this is a cool story actually, I'd feel really bad if, if you hurt yourself because maybe you don't know the extent of what can go wrong. He goes, the goggles are, an, are a deal breaker. You have to wear goggles as much as you can and willing and get good ones because I I I did and I still got arc eye in his right eye, which is a blinding of the eye for, you know, temporarily. And he had to get people calling him into waves and do all this. And he said, I just wanted to reach out to that because you could do some major damage doing what you're doing and depending on the waves and everything you've got, got going on. Just I want to do that. And I, I, said, so I said, I didn't see you wear goggles at all. He goes, yeah, man, I did the edit. We were part of the edit. We made it look like I was ripping. The guy surfs great. And he was um, and he was ripping and this was all sponsored seven or eight years ago. We did it. And he goes, yeah, I just, I knew that. And he goes, that's why I'm reaching out too, that, um, that, It'll look good. I'm like, oh, so you didn't want to look like a kook? He goes, exactly, bro. And he sent me some photos and he's all zinked up, dorky hat on, big goggles going, I told you, mate, I just wanted to make sure that you took care of yourself through all this as well. Yeah, he was great. And then did you take that um, advice? Did you get burnt? You would have got – it was pretty sunny, wasn't it? So you would have got burnt a bit. It was a 35-degree day, 24-degree. We how warm the water was then. Yeah. 24-degree water. I was in a 3-2 rip curl wedding, so I was pretty hot. But again, I had that. Um, I was driving my wife nuts. She said, I just put some bodies on for a few hours. I'm like, nah, this has got to be authentic and close to a single surface possible. So I rode one board the whole time and I wore one wetted the whole time. And I was okay with like running up to the toilet and doing that because I wouldn't do that in a normal, like, big session. I wouldn't shit my wetty. I'd run up to the toilet and come back straight away, you know. So I was okay with getting out of the water for that. It's only three toilet breaks, I think, all up, maybe. But yeah, and I was just being, you know, accountable to, to what I said I did. And, mate, talk us through the 40 hours when you thought you've got to the 40, you know, how was that? I mean, there's massive crowds on the beach, yeah. people on the water, and you've, you've finally you've got to the 40 hours. Yeah. Well, I guess one thing that, yeah, I'm proud of through it is that I was still actually surfing. I wasn't just groveling. There was periods where I was just cooked. I was getting up, trimming, not quite surfing the wave for what it was, but at seven, my 700th wave I did a, a big layback and I was – and I didn't even remember, I can't remember it until I saw the photo and the photographer was like, that was your 700th wave, you did that. And everyone was just going, sick, this is epic. But for those last couple of hours, I was still surfing the rip my favourite little wave, you know, and linking them to shore and doing a rio. And they're like, save your energy. They've been saying save your energy from the start. But I just, again, that that bit of arrogance and that, you know, accountability. I wanted to make like a surf. I'd been riding, I'd been driving that Dr. Nuts going, save your energy for that long. But I was just, saw a good section. I wasn't going to flick off. I was so you rode the waves as far as you could. You, you never pulled off, you know, early for just to save some. It was the odd wave. The odd wave I did that. If I was sitting there for you know, you know, longer than five, five or ten minutes, I'd I take off on a set because it was pretty solid that first day. It was five foot closeouts, and then the odd sick one. But I take off and flick off. But legitimately stand up, trim a bit, and flick off. I didn't do that as much as I thought I was going to do to get the number. <laughs> I did that more. I ended up riding a wave on average every three minutes, 24 seconds for 40 hours and seven minutes. So I look back at those stats and I'm like, wow, man, that's a big hour surf if you do that for an hour, riding 18 waves an hour. So, yeah, I'm pretty stoked and pretty proud. I did that properly and to be able to still surf at that 40-hour mark properly and link waves, the waves ashore. And I rode my um, 707th wave, 507, I think it was, or 5 o'clock. Yeah, 507, man. <laughs> 
get there. Seven's pretty pretty prominent in my life. Um, rode it with my boy. So my 700 set wave, we both he took off wider and we both rode that wave in. So that was a pretty, pretty special moment. Mate, that would be very special. It'd be, it's absolutely amazing. It's amazing the, um, you know, a wave every three three or so minutes. That's just uh, insane to, to keep yeah. that going. And so when you finish the recovery, what you obviously cooked, but the recovery weeks after, was there something you, you've had to follow to, to so you didn't go into a, a, a state of, you know, whether it's mental or physical? Look. Right or wrong, I, I, I went for a sup and a run in the National Park on the Sunday. Got on the sun <laughs> over with a bunch of the sons, the some of those same guys that were down there, and they were never going to say no, some of them, you know, after me crawling them out to go for a mile and a run after what I did. So that was a sick afternoon, you know, just I'd normally train over there by myself and sup from sand shoes over to the uh, National Park and do this beautiful little loop or run down to Mali, and it's one of the favourite things to do. And just got to keep my mind moving, you know, like mental health, you got to, you got to keep working on yourself and keep involving. And I feel like with my recovery, you know, it's still sore. I've got this lingering sort of ache. It's not an injury or anything, but deep in the shoulders when I paddle out now, I still feel like I'm about like 10 hours deep in the surf, even though, you know, it's four weeks on, three weeks on now, whatever, still feel like it's, you've had a massive day in the water every time I paddle out. So there's that ongoing sort of overuse that we have, but it's just an ache that sits there and, um, you know, I've been seeing the physio and stretching more than I normally do, and but I've kept very, very active since then. Well, mate, you did raise what up to $440,000. Is that way above what your expectation was? Yeah, look, we we originally just thought a hundred grand would be great, it gets us a start on what I can help do, you know, and and that's why I work with the Chumpy Pullen Foundation because they have a um, youth mental health pillar. And my brother was on the board and he said, help last. And I said, yeah, if I can be a part of where the money gets used. So we actually put it into action and we don't just have another conversation about it. I think the society's done and there's plenty of things out there that have done great with talking about it. But what are some steps, what are things we can add into our day-to-day life and, and help the kids with to, that can help their well-being, help them become better people and help them when they're struggling. So, you know, I want to I run camps and clinics with professionals that help us teach them breath work, that teach them about not just being fit, but the benefits mentally they get from being out in nature and, and living an active lifestyle. I think that's more powerful than ever and more needed than ever with the state of the world with phones and gadgets and schools and everything just to to get them to enjoy their life more man, and yeah. then give them those tools they need to, 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 to thrive. Yeah, 100%. I think that's a, a great thing to do because I think, yeah, you know, kids these days there's too much on the phones and the laptops and the you know the video games and everything else that's out there that's electronic and I think that they lack what you know we how we grew up back in in our childhood where you know you're playing backyard cricket you're out in the, you know running around the streets riding your push bike surfing you know all that is, is something that um, I think the kids really need these days. Well, yeah, you you were super exposed to it, eh? You know, and and. That's what I said. This doesn't need to be another conversation or another lecture or anything. It needs to be learned through experience, you know. So being around the right people that live these lifestyles that, you know, are genuinely there for to help them become better and, you know, just learning through experience, being put them out in, in put them out there. Like the camps and clinics we run with the schools are epic. We have fifteen year old kids talking about how grateful they are for the day because they just learnt to surf with their mate or they got up earlier before the sun and did a little bush run with me or bush walk to start their day off and jump off the rocks. Like these things are just, they'll remember forever and hopefully they take into their, their lives and go, that was fun and 
know, there is there is ways we can take control of how we feel by putting it into action. One of my favorite things I've ever heard is like we we think with our head, you know, we think we say I I, I feel depressed, I feel anxious. We don't say I think anxious or I, I think depressed. We say we feel it, and we feel through our body and the actions that we do and take. So to interfere with that and you know make it you know uncomfortable at times, so we can show that we can get through hard times and just you know use our body as the tool to, to feel better. I think it's really important that that message is felt and not just talked about and, and thought about. Was there something you took away from doing the, the, the while you're doing the forty hours? Is something that now you look back and think? you know, what you can change or, or something that's positive in your life from doing that massive uh, achievement? Yeah, something that I always try and tell myself and you hear a lot about, but to experience something like that, I'm not saying you have to do a 100-mile run or a 40-hour surf to actually get there, but it's just believing that you are exactly where you're meant to be. So whether it's you're succeeding at that moment or you're really, really struggling and can't see a way out that, the other side of it is a better, better version of you, and a better you're a better person, and the world's a better place because of what you've been through and the people around you that you influence that you might not be aware of when you're feeling shitty, but how valuable you are, and you know that you're absolutely that you're absolutely worth it in every way. Well, mate, what's next on the agenda? Have you got another massive thing coming up? Is there something you're thinking about I haven't done yet? I've... <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's there's a couple of things. Like, obviously, I'm a surfer. I love surfing. I'm, I'm getting into downwind foiling. I've been foiling for a couple of years after my injury. A year and a half ago, I got on the foil and I absolutely love it. So when the waves are shitty, I'm always on that. I want to do some huge downwind foils, but I know I've got to earn my way there yet. But um, that's in the next couple of years. Hopefully, we can do some crazy stuff there. But I'm going to um, also, I'm learning how to do some mountain climbing. I've got a week booked in New Zealand on the glaciers in November to learn how to climb some mountains. But, um, yeah, I also want to run home from Ulladulla barefoot this year, do a 220K adventure run from Ulladulla. So run along the coast as much as possible and sup across the rivers and and do my biggest um, adventure run yet. So that'll be something that you could maybe join me for. Yeah, mate, I'll, uh, I'll jump. I don't know about barefoot, but I'll jump in with it. <laughs> mate, that's, a, that's another big effort though, isn't it? Like just to run that distance, let alone doing it uh, barefoot. Yeah, well, just um, barefoot running's been epic, been really good. You know, I didn't came across it by accident, but it's um, yeah, it's really good. It's just everything's everything's. There's no space when you're running barefoot, especially in the bush. You know, there's there's not that extra space you get when you're running around the track or running on the on the smart every single day. Everything's alert. Your proprioceptors are on fire. So yeah, it's, it's good. Well, mate, it's um, I'm stoked that you you completed and got the record and. Mate, the effort, I, I can't even fathom being in the water that long for 40 hours and, and not only that, just catching that amount of waves. I mean, 700, what, 707 waves in 40 hours is, is absolutely amazing. You should be, mate, stoked in what, what you've achieved. Yeah, stoked. I'm just stoked that, it, you know, I always knew it was bigger than me. It was about helping other people and, and that message is loud and clear. I've had some pretty amazing text messages and DMs and all that, but... um. Some sad ones too, obviously, but uh, there's definitely been an impact from it. So um, I'm glad I can help people and want to continue to do that as much as possible. Oh, mate, you've definitely helped. I reckon many, many people because there's so many people turned up that day. So many people went out there surfing from from all around the place. It wasn't just from over the Cronulla way. They were coming from everywhere to, to get in the water with you. So yeah, the reach was global, so that was pretty 
pretty awesome to see that something like this is needed. You know, you don't need to do it, but just so that you can get through and live by example for the next generation to show they can do hard things. And, you know, that was like me, small business owners and dads and workers, and we can all make that effort if we really want to. We can get up earlier and train harder and make that little bit of time for yourself to feel better and tick some goals off. Mate, 100%. Mate, at the end of the uh, interview, I do um, some five fun facts. So I'm just going to throw a couple of questions at the end here and answer them however you want. There's no right and wrong answers. Yeah. Uh, mate, the first one is favourite childhood memory. Growing up over the from the beach, walking over the to the surf with the board on my head because I couldn't fit around my arm, chasing my brothers and my dad. Mate, who is the messiest person you know? Oh, the messiest, but <laughs> Duke. Why <laughs> <laughs> Duke? <laughs> Mate, what's a body part you wouldn't mind losing? Oh, what about gaining some more hair? I'm <laughs> a little bit of this hair um, losing. <laughs> Mate, uh, favourite sport? Favourite sport? Surfing. Closely followed by foiling. Like very, very, yeah. Mate, if uh, you're a DJ, what would your DJ name be? DJ Techno Viking. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> well, mate, Blakey, it's it's made a pleasure having you on the podcast, getting in the beach shack, telling your story and the the world record, mate. Uh, hopefully, I'll I'll stay in touch and uh, let's see uh, if we can do another one. Sounds good. Thanks for your time. See you, Hopper. Now let's go to Beach Banner. So this week in the Beach Shack, we've got Chase. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. Oh. Now, I want to bring up a, a, a couple of things here with uh, big wave surfing. There's a lot of the lifeguards get out and do the big wave surfing and, and challenge themselves. You're only a young bloke and, you know, there's not a lot of you, that, you, you know, on the, yeah. uh, not the muscliest side of things, but... So how do you handle that? Like you've got these waves which are just ferocious and powerful and, you know, you get massive wipeouts and, and then being able to have the skill to get out there and do it. Yeah, look, it's one of those things that obviously growing up in the area and uh, getting big swells that come through Australia on our east coast quite commonly compared to most parts of, of the world. It's something you kind of grow up with and, and they come around and you're always, when you're younger, trying to, push push to your limit of, of how big how big did you go and, and as you grommets and everyone going oh how big was your biggest wave how big this and that so coming from such a young age and and everyone hanging around the beach you're always trying to push yourself to get to get to that spot of like trying to get that biggest wave and and myself I was lucky enough to start down at Bondi as a lifeguard a few years ago now my fourth year now so I um I grew up pretty much around guys like Clint Kimmons and, and Boo and, and Jesse Pollock and all these guys who were around down at the beach who, who were hyping up every swell saying, let's do this, let's do that. And, and Clint's obviously taken his path a lot further now, surfing 100 foot waves over in Nazare, whilst Jesse and Boo are just like dominating waves over, over the headland at, at ours, which is one of the like gnarliest slabs that, that's around and, and people obviously greatly feared of. And there's a competition there that's still placed and, and that's why it's there because these guys who who are uh, growing up around the area or from the area got to surf these waves from when they were younger and, and build a tolerance to them. And 
it's it's kind of the same path I'm hoping to take and, and follow what they have done and be able to get thrown around and enjoy getting smashed, just like enjoy riding out into the channel is, is the best part where you can get the difference of them and two very different experiences of coming out in the safety and copping a lip to the head and getting thrown around underwater for numerous seconds and not knowing when they're going to come up. But when you do, you've got a smile on your face and that's at the end of the day why you do it because there's still enjoyment in both outcomes. And, and I think that's the key. You've got to enjoy it, don't you, to get what to – you've got to enjoy the wipeout side. Everyone enjoys catching the wave and when nothing goes wrong. But when it does and you're underwater and you're getting belted, you've got to enjoy it so you don't have that fear to get rid of the – you know, everyone's got some sort of fear because they've got to respect the ocean. But, you know, it's um, something they need to enjoy. Yeah, like you said, um, you never know what the ocean's going to throw at you. It could be a, a six-foot day and, and you could get held down for ages or, or hit a rock or hit the reef with your head or it could be 20-foot and you could get lucky and, and just pop out the back of waves every day. So, yeah, like you said, it's just about being comfortable and, and confident in yourself. And uh, that's what I'm finding with myself is finding where my limit's at and, and obviously trying to push it when, when something comes. But when you get the chances that the... Uh, east coast of australia provide you with you always going to try to take it on just because you never want to miss out and there's always a fear with with a whole bunch of guys that that never want to miss out on on catching a big wave in that swell and and that's kind of been passed on to me from from guys like clint who who just take on anything and and talk it down and his calmness through surfing like I, the biggest day of surf was with him and and his energy on that day was just like oh well we'll get out there and get flogged like get a couple of fun ones and then cop a couple on the head. And I still remember so vividly, like I was probably the most scared I've ever been. And we're paddling out at Wedding Cake Island, which is an island out, out off Coogee here, right around the corner from us. And, and he's making me sit on the inside. Like I, I felt like I was right on the inside. Waves are breaking 50 to 100 metres out from us. And he was making me sit there just so I copped one on the head. And, and I knew exactly what he was doing, but I was trying to paddle out and he's grabbing my leg right going city like don't move don't move it's always breaking here and uh, you might have seen a funny photo that that was getting thrown around and there's just this massive mountain of whitewash breaking 50 meters in front of us and we're both on top of our boards jumping off it to get under this wave dive as deep as we can so that we can pop out the other end and we got ragged all the way in the inside and i'm standing there going like in shock like are you kidding me i told you we should have been out the back and he's just laughing going See, mate, you always got to make it in. Don't, don't be too scared. And I was just like, that's Clint. That's Clint for you. So anyone that obviously got to uh, got to know him or, or knows about him, he's he's one of those wild ones that just loves to do it just for exactly that reason because he'll always come up with a smile on his face. Mate, do you, do you think you'll one day attempt to go to Nazare and take on some bigger waves? Yeah, look, Nazare's a, a whole new realm. Those waves over there are very scary and... Anyway, the tip the Guinea squad record book has uh, been surfed from over there for the largest wave and, and the power of the ocean. There's just something where the, the energy channels out of the harbour there and these waves just jack up to double the size that the, the swell's meant to be. And, and look, I, I mean, I wish and I'd like to say I would ever surf it, but if the time ever comes and, and I've obviously trained enough and feeling confident enough when I'm a bit older, I'd love to take it on. I don't know what my mum would say about that, but um, I'm sure my I'm sure my dad would be not too happy as well. But yeah, I'd love to uh, definitely take on some bigger stuff in the future and and see what I can do and push myself. Oh, but I'm sure you will. A bit more experience uh, as a lifeguard, and then also uh, with the surfing, the bigger waves. So you'll be out there one day. 
Yeah, hopefully. We'll see how we go. <laughs> right, Chase. Good to see you, mate. Uh, catch you down the beach. Yeah, see you soon, Hop. Cheers, mate. Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. This week's letter in the mailbag is from Tristan and he is from Melbourne. His question is, mate, I've watched the first episode of the new series of Bondo Rescue. Uh, How many more series are there to come and uh, what can we expect? Well, Tristan, uh, we've done uh, 10 episodes this year. That'll be playing uh, week every week for the next uh, 10 weeks now. What you can expect is uh, plenty of rescues, also first aids with uh, the board rider injuries, and also resuscitation of an infant, which was uh, something that we don't get very often. Uh, That was a very good one. Also, I put in my segment of Float to Survive Australia. That goes in and shows you how you can survive. That shows how you can survive in a rip. And also, we have... uh, my 30 years we celebrate towards the end of the series of uh, being a professional lifeguard. Thanks, Tristan, for your letter, and I'll catch you all again next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, Beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.